everybody. This is Issa Cosette, and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know existed, you didn't know you needed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week, we have a very special guest, Miss Jamie Poole. You know, a lot of people have met me on my journey, like in Puerto Rico as a traveler, but what you guys don't know is that I went to Grayson, and yes. it just connected me with this dope sister, and somehow I ended up seeing her in Valdosta, and then she left me and so (laughs) don't put it like that (laughs) well okay let me let me put in better in better terms sometimes in life we outgrow these spaces and places so she decided and was ready to finish and UGA but it's okay because even though she's been far away she's still been near and dear to my heart I want you guys to be introduced to my soul sister Miss Algebra tell everybody a little bit about yourself all right. So first, thank you so much for having me. I don't know, like, I, this question is always so interesting to me when you tell, like, tell me about yourself. Like, the best way I feel like to describe me is just organized chaos. Y'all, anyone I meet, like, my life, you can probably hear 50 million miles away. I try to find joy in anything that I possibly can, especially in today's world, right? So I try to hold on to the people I meet, just like Issa. Like, when I meet them, I try to hold on to them, even if it's a random text every, you know, seven, eight months. Like just to try to stay connected because just people I feel like are just so important and to maintain and keep those relationships are just even more important. So I think that's just me. I'm just kind of like a floating social butterfly. So not only just a social butterfly, you are a math teacher, right? Yes. Because it's like, how did you get into math? Like how did you get to algebra or how did you get like, when did that come into play? Okay, this, this story is always so interesting to me. So graduated from Grayson, went to Valdosta, and I went to school to do mass communications because I was going to be Oprah. Like, that was my plan. Like, I'm going to have a TV show, blase, blase, okay? Then I transferred to UGA because of the journalism school. I was like, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to do. So my parents were like, you know, make sure you have a job, like an after, after, like a school job or whatever. And so I started working at this elementary school. Little old me coming from Grayson, Gwinnett County's best kept secret. I was just really naive into thinking that all schools were the same. And so when I was working at the school, I was just, it was very simple things of like things that they didn't have when it came to resources. And I was like, what, what's going on? Like, I don't understand. So I was like, so my brain started changing or like my thought process was changing. And I was like, okay, wait a minute, what's going on? So then I was like, you know what? maybe I won't really go into doing a TV show that's about me. Maybe I will try to talk about people's experiences when it comes to like their childhood, their journey, whatever. And so that shifted once again. And so I was like, you know what, let me go into education. But at this point, I'm at like my junior year of college. And I was like, crap, I got to change my major. And I don't want to have to apply to the education school. So I was like, what, what major can I possibly get to know to still like learn about people that ended up? I ended up getting human and development within the College of Family Consumer Science at UGA. And so that point, I was like, okay, I've got this pretty dope major. To me, to describe it, it's all of your ologies, psychology, sociology, and then a hint of education. Yes. So I got that. Then I was like, well, crap, I I think I need to be a teacher. Like, I want to go back and be with kids. Like, that's what I want to do. And so I came across this program, Teach for America, which probably a lot of people have heard of it. It's the Peace Corps for education here in the United States, right? Yeah, that's kind of like the best way to describe it. So I apply for that. They look at your transcript, kind of base you up based on your preference, da, da, da. They gave me science. 
Lord help me. So I was like, because of my major human development, I took some sciences and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, you know, and not really, that's not really what I want. I don't want to teach science. Like, and they were like, well, what do you want to teach? And I was like, you can give me any math. I had some, like, I had awesome math teachers growing up. I was like, just give me math. And they were like, oh yeah, we can do that because you know, it's such a, like a need for math teachers in the world. So gave me math and I started in eighth grade. They placed me in South Carolina and this is, I'm finishing up year six. And now I started, I had three years of middle school math. And now I'm in my, finishing my third year of high school math. So here I am. We don't realize how good we have until you go to somewhere else. Because mm-hmm. when I actually started being a teacher in Puerto Rico and I got in my classroom and I was asking and expecting them to have what we have in a way, you know, like right. I, there's just some basic things that we got to have and they didn't even have it like a projector. When I say not yeah. even a, and I was just like, what do you mean? So how can they not like, there's a certain standard, obviously because of Grayson, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And like, shout out to yeah. that public school. And it just, and just also realizing that many public schools don't even have what Grayson had and mm-hmm. like just all of the opportunities. So how did Grayson and UGA pretty much influence you and prepare you to be an educator? I think it's, it's hard. It's hard to say that it, um, of course it prepared me, but it's just so difficult to say because just like you said, we were blessed with so much at, at our school. Like when it came to just being with from the, one of the largest counties, right. And within Gwinnett County, you have so many resources. Then in Grayson, it's like this small community, but big community at the same time. And parents are super involved. Like, we really didn't want for anything, at least in my experience, like when it came to just anything I wanted when it came to school. And so I kind of had a standard. So I honestly feel like it kind of put me behind because I went into education thinking, well, this is what it's supposed to be. Like, I need to have this to be successful in my classroom. And it kind of took me back like wait a minute you need to pump the brakes and look what you have like you don't have this and so I had to really rewire my brain to realize I don't need the best smart boards to make sure these kids are understanding the quadratic formula I don't need to have these manipulate like I don't need to have the greatest manipulates you know I have these pennies so that's gonna work or I just really had to change my mindset so I will say that that's how it helped me it helped me rewire my brain to know that you don't have to have everything, everything that glitters is not gold, right? So I think that's what happened, like, when it comes to my experience growing up in Grayson and then going to UGA, because honestly, Grayson to UGA, it's a very similar, like, it's a similar community. Like, listen, we are, I'm a Black female, and I'm the minority wherever I go, right? So no, when I'm looking around, I have to search for people that look like me. That was another thing, because then when it came to me actually teaching, I'm teaching majority brown and black children so wait a minute I'm not I'm not the only black chick in this room right now like it's so that was I, I learned a lot about that because like not only was I when it came to Grace UGA I was forced to like confront like who I am when it comes to my identity I was like wait a minute I need to make sure that I'm secure enough in my identity to make sure that I'm that good of a role model for these kids just that pinpoint of just realizing that sometimes our privilege actually sets us back because we have to be able to connect you know with the mm-hmm. people and and at one point we were the minority at Grayson. I definitely didn't want to go to UGA because of that. I was like, yo, I'm tired of seeing these people. I don't want to go to school around more of them. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> not even go yeah. loud. I was just like, no. But to go from one being the minority to once again just being amongst, you know, more people and having students mm-hmm. that are a reflection like you, 
how do you now encourage these students to celebrate who they are? I always had like this, like, I don't know how to say it, like this flicker in me of like, I am black. Like, I might not know everything when it comes to Black history, but I know this is who I am. So, like, even at Grayson, like, when it came to Black History Month, like, little things I would do, like, make sure we say an announcement over the intercom for, you know, February, like, little things like that. So, I knew that. That was always something that's really important to me. So, like, I come into the classroom, I remember my first year, kids, bless it, they were, they, uh, Miss Connor, because I was Miss Connor then. Miss Connor, you sound so white. I was like, here we go. I have trained for this moment. I have trained for this moment because this is what I heard growing up. And I will not let these kids see me sweat. Like, <laughs> I will not. And so I literally would be like, hmm, why? Well, because you said that. So I sound white because of this. So, like, I would literally make these moments have a conversation. And I will say TFA helped with that because a lot of their things, like, they'd have these affinity spaces of when we talked about race and when we talked about, like, different areas and communities and cultural things so but yeah so every time those moments would come up I would have to stop what I was doing to have those conversations because I just remember I remember this moment with a counselor at Grayson this is great and I was just telling someone last night about it I remember one of the counselors was like put me in his office and he was like how does it feel how does it feel when they that you sound white or they call you an Oreo and I was like it really bothers me I said it bothers me because no one can ever articulate why they're saying that to me are you saying it because of how I pronounce my words? Are you saying it because I might say like every four seconds? Are you saying, you know? And so to me, it was like, well, I thought I just sounded like, I thought I'm saying the words correctly. So are you telling me that I sound white because I'm saying these words, quote unquote, correctly? And are you automatically putting our people down and putting the white man on a pedestal? Can you not? <laughs> so that's, <laughs> like, can you not? So I think that's why when I have, when I think about that conversation, when I think about these kids that I would teach, it was such a priority for me to have a vision to make sure that I had these conversations of, listen, I don't sound white. This is how I sound. Black people sound different. There's multiple black experiences and we're going to talk about it. Of course, these conversations will come up in more classes, especially the different type of classes that I taught. And that was one yeah. of those things that I feel like I really, really, like I kind of knew in like elementary school and like growing up in Grayson because we had a lot of foreigners. We weren't a lot, but we mm -hmm. had a lot of people from different countries. So I remember mm -hmm. like at far elementary, like asking people like, oh, where are you from? And they'll tell me a state. And I'm like, no, we're not from here. Like, where are you really from? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. and like them not telling me and me feeling like they were lying. And so mm -hmm. as I got to, and, and, and also just shaping or just thinking about um, the identity and having this upbringing and then going to college and what happens after was in my in my mind, my mom was like, you're not like these black Americans, right? So, mm -hmm. and then growing up in Grayson, you don't really see that many black people either. So you're like, I'm not like these black people. And then you hear the stats. Yeah. Not only are black people oppressed, but women have the double standards because they have black and they're women. Can't remember. There was this girl who like, I think her boyfriend killed her or something in like one of the halls or something. Mm -hmm. And I just remember sitting on the front lawn and processing and feeling sick because I was like, oh my God, I am a black woman. Like this could happen to yeah. me. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, and it like, it floored me because I'm like, because I also felt, and this goes back yeah. to growing up in such a white space and having that mm -hmm. privilege of thinking, oh, I went to Grayson, so I'm good. I'm going to be able to get a job. That's, and that's, that's the conversations that don't happen. Like, I, I, when I tell you, this is so crazy, because I literally had these conversations last night, of course, single in my own. So, like, it was, <laughs> I was, like, literally saying, like, these conversations don't happen. Like, you hear about the, 
Black experience of the struggle. You he- and then you hear about the extreme Black experience where you are c- c- like so affluent, right? Like you grew up, but what about the middle class? Like we grew up in an area where we might have had our, you know, we might have had some limitations, but at the end of the day, we're still extremely privileged. And that conversation doesn't happen a lot. So like, we're we're not you're never ever talking about the how we have to navigate every day going through microaggressions of oh wait you can't do that for your hair or how my mom had to give me a talk every time I went to the pool with my friends and like you know like it's just like little things that like the conversation doesn't happen it's like oh I didn't even realize that like oh that's oh we're different because of this or you know and especially when I we move out to Grayson I was in kindergarten so like when it comes to my experience I feel like I wasn't an anomaly in that sense. Like how many of like black students can you say grew up from kindergarten to senior year? Like, right. Like Grace elementary, McConnell to Grayson high school and have that full, but it's very rare. Like, so I don't know. I just feel like this conversation doesn't happen. It's a lot of, I don't want to say trauma, but it's a lot of healing that we have to go through. Like it's a lot of, it's an awakening that you go through of realizing it, it could be, Hey, we're out of this small town and we, go to college and we're educated like we start reading more things and you know like and it's like oh wait wait a minute because at the end of the day like I tell my mom all the time we are the chosen ones we are like there is something special like we have a superpower being black women like just being black period but especially black women that we just have to like really hone in on and tap into that because it's like it's so like suppressed when it comes to people around us and it's like no you hate us because you want to be us so calm down and just listen to us. I literally, literally just bought a shirt that said trust black women. My husband's like, here we go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> like, obviously you did because you married one boo. Like, oh yes. Mr. Poole, talk about that. And now that you're on the other side, you know, <laughs> you are no longer a child, but you are a woman of a man. Mm-hmm. How yes. is <laughs> What is black love like for you and how is that journey like? So it was it's so crazy. So it's like, what is black love? We have all these documentaries and I think black love is limitless. I think it's it's so hard to put into words. Like it's when we are shot down, when we are broken down, when we are talked down, like I'm literally here to pick you up. I'm here to I understand what you're going through. There's there's this underlying I guess the underlying connection that you don't even have to say a word. If we see something like when it comes to our experiences, I don't care if you grew up in the hood. I don't care if you grew up in the suburbs. Like at the end of the day, I pass the street. We nod each other. We automatically know, you know? So I think that's black love. Like it expands from not only just friendships, relationships, like it's everything. It's that family. It's that here, I'm going to help you tilt your crown. Cause I know you're a king. Like, Hey, I, Hey, don't forget my crown boo. Like it's there. We're like a true balance of each other that you just can't duplicate. You can't, you can't, so many people want to mock it, but you can't, you can't have that. And it's not saying no to love, whatever. Like, but at the end of the day, I don't want to talk about that. Like black love at the end of the day to me is superior. Like <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Like it's a, especially when you literally are being intentional every day with like, I'm choosing, like just love and joy. I'm like, I'm choosing to love you. I'm choosing to make this decision. Like I'm choosing to get in the bed next to you, even though you left your shoes in the middle of the living room. Okay. I'm choosing, (laughs) I'm choosing to be your rock. Like I'm choosing to help you write that email when you're, when you're frustrated. Like 
you're choosing to come into my classroom in the middle of July to help me build my classroom. Like, it's just intentional that, you know, it's just so indescribable. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's just when you're around it, it's, there's no feeling like it. Oh, I love love. I love seeing it. I'm yes. like, oh, <laughs> hey guys. Whew. But um, um, I want I want to see what they come out because being able to celebrate all of our differences, and also just like once it owning like not just your blackness but also different cultures that make us, you know. And I think mm-hmm. me on my journey being able to learn more about Liberia and actually accept that, and not feel like I had to put that aside because I feel like you know growing in grace and I kind of like I would embrace it, but still kind of like shield it in many ways to protect myself from jokes or stuff now that like, i'm like in this place i'm able to accept it more so that my children can because i don't want them to, like they're gonna have their doubts and challenges but yeah. having these parents or like aunties and uncles or friends who help them celebrate and appreciate who they are they'll be fine yeah you know? since we grew up in these spaces that once again we were the minority we still had our homes we still had our friends that were reflections of us that allowed us to mm-hmm. still grow up you know sometimes ask these questions or not just to be able to say i got you sis mm-hmm. exactly I know exactly. you have a poem to share with us today. You know, it wouldn't be Jamie if it wasn't extra. So literally, it's, I don't know how cliche it can be. It's literally um, my Angela, phenomenal woman. It's the first stanza and then the last stanza of Still I Rise. And then I can go in after why it is probably my favorite, both of them together. Pretty women wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. But when I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman, and that's me. Out of the heights of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean, leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. Can't pick one or the other. I, I love them both. And it's so perfect. Like, just because Phenomenal Woman, of course, if like you re- read the whole poem, it's just, listen, I'm a woman and I know what I am and I'm confident in who I am. And then the last stanza of Still I Rise, like, especially when it talks about ancestors, because of course it's like a spiritual journey that I'm going on. It's like the world society is like, I don't want to, no, I do think, I think the world has somewhat demonized when it comes to us reaching, like acknowledging our ancestors and stuff like that. And so I'm like, wait a minute. No, that's not bad. That's not bad. They're here. There are angels at the end of the day. And so when it comes down to certain things, like, society will put a name on this and I'm like no I literally every day especially when it comes to this convert like this type of conversation about spirituality we have to be in terms of like no this is not bad you might use this word I use this word it's literally the same thing but just because it's not yours you say it's bad and so that's why I really like that because at the end of the day baby girl I'm still gonna rise <laughs> so we are because they existed like we are literally like their wildest dream like and Mm -hmm. what is the power in us that we need to realize is that do you know all that they endured and suffered 
but they still continue, like I said, they rose and they, and that strength, that resilience is in our blood. So we challenges don't give up, like, and understanding, like, you know what I'm saying? There is a power of the seen and the unseen. And definitely, you mm-hmm. know, spirits do their work, but it's how we work through them. So if we are, yeah, you know, girl. manifesting to do bad things and bad things will happen. But if we are opening our hearts and spirits for good to happen, good will happen, you know? So we yeah. need, goes back to that learning and unlearning and healing that needs to be done. You know, our true cultural traditions, yeah. our true cultural beliefs, our, our, our history, so that, mm-hmm. you know, others can be able to walk strongly, you know, and Instead of like, yeah. oh, I don't really know. I'm trying to figure it out. No, it's the path has already been, you know, paved. We just have mm-hmm. to walk it. But because we feel like we're so alone, we don't really do that. So yeah. having you as a teacher, having family and support systems to make sure that we stand strong and our crown is held high, you know, we mm-hmm. will be able to open doors and rise. Yeah. Yeah, girl. Completely. <laughs> Jamie, how are you on your way? So day by day and step by step I think it's just like I mentioned earlier with relationships like building relationships as as I'm on this journey and just maintaining them I think I'm in a very fortunate situation because of my job like being a teacher I literally have 100 or more than 100 kids a year and so I'm able to meet and hear about their lives and be able to impart little things that I learned into their lives and hopefully they'll carry along and that's just how that seed will be spread and watered so Take it day by day, girlfriend. These seeds will be sown and they will be able to be great embracing who they are and be able to open many doors because of you and your truth. So thank you, Jamie, for just staying true to yourself and being able to encourage us all on our journey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to everyone who is on your way. You're not really sure where you're going. Just keep moving forward and don't be afraid to trust yourself and your place because you have a purpose. This is Issa Cosette. Y'all be blessed. <music>